Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Thank you for joining me for our worship service today. Today is the third Sunday in the Easter season. Our order of service begins in the bulletin. We're going to open right now with hymn number 147, like the golden sun ascending.
Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins to God our Father, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. Almighty God, merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful. I have disobeyed you and justly deserve your punishment both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for the evil I have thought, spoken, and done. And for the sake of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. I now ask you before God who searches the heart, do you confess your sins of thought, word, and deed? Are you sorry for your sins? Do you look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, for forgiveness? And with the Holy Spirit's help, do you want to correct your sinful life? Then declare so by saying, yes. Yes. Upon this confession, I, as a called servant of the word, announce to you God's grace and the forgiveness of sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. this third Sunday of Easter is from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 17 to 21, a reading in which Peter talks about our joyful living for Christ as, as Christ would want us to live because of all that Christ has, has done for us. Peter writes, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and your hope are in God. Alleluia, alleluia, Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. Let us join the Emmaus disciples in saying, our hearts were burning within us while Jesus talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. Alleluia. Alleluia. chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. This is the account of the Emmaus disciples. Jesus walked with them Easter day, Easter Sunday afternoon and talked with them about his suffering and death and resurrection. 
Now that same day, two of them, the disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? and opened the scriptures to us. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. We'll continue with our next hymn, hymn 161, Christ Jesus Lay in Death Strong Band. Jesus lay in dead strong bands 
consider this third Sunday of Easter is our scripture lesson. Our scripture lesson, remember that during the Easter season we have a scripture lesson looking at the history of the early Christian church instead of the Old Testament reading. We're looking at Acts chapter 2 verses 14 and 36 to 47. Then Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's bow our heads for prayer. 
May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, who art our strength and our salvation. Amen. My dear friends, for whom Christ lived and died and rose from the dead. Quite a few years ago, actually, it's more than a quarter century ago, when I was still in Mobile, I remember meeting this young man who asked me what it was that I did for a living. And now I always love it when people would maybe ask me a question kind of like that because it gives me an instant opportunity to witness for Christ, to talk about our Savior. I said that I was the pastor of Living Word Lutheran Church. And, well, when he heard that, he said, that he might come to our church so that he could hear me preach. I don't think he actually ended up coming. But he said he might come. And then he added that what he had done in the past is he had visited a number of different churches. And when he visited those churches, he was impressed by the powerful preaching he heard in some of those pre-churches. And that made me wonder, was he impressed because of the message he heard or because of the way in the which the message was proclaimed? And now obviously, pastors do need to be so concerned about how it is that we preach our messages we need to be concerned about that, but what's more important is not the how we preach, but the what we preach, the message that we proclaim, that we're proclaiming a message that's always faithful to the Word of God. As the Apostle Paul says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. A pastor's clever speech, it's not going to convert a single soul. The pastor who thinks that he can convert souls is a sad pastor, really, when you get right down to it. It's the Holy Spirit, it's the Word of God that converts souls. The Apostle Paul said, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Well, on that first Pentecost, the time of our reading, on that day, the Apostle Peter preached a very powerful sermon, a very powerful message, and, and the scriptures do tell us that 3,000 souls were added to the New Testament church that day, and well, when we think about those 3,000 souls, of course, some of those 3,000 may very well have been Old Testament believers, people who were believing in the promises of God, who were looking forward to the coming Savior, and what they needed to know is that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament prophets. Prophecies. But that's what... Maybe many of those needed to know. But those 3,000 added to the New Testament church, people who said, yes, Jesus is the one. 
Well, those 3,000 souls, they were added to the New Testament church, not because of how Peter preached, but because of what Peter preached through the Holy Spirit's working through his word. Well, this third Sunday of Easter, let's look at Peter's Pentecost message a little bit and see the powerful effect, the powerful effective preaching of Christ's Easter victory. The powerful effect of preaching Christ's Easter victory. And such preaching, what it's going to do is it's going to confront us with the law. It's going to comfort us with the gospel. And it's going to create a wonderful fellowship of believers. Our text, as I said, it's part of Peter's first Easter sermon, we could say, which was preached on the day of Pentecost. When the disciples, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and their being filled with the Holy Spirit meant that they were able to speak in different languages, different languages of all those people who were there at that particular time. But then more importantly, they were filled with the Holy Spirit so that they were able to have a better understanding of what Christ had done with his suffering and death and his resurrection. That was something that they were so confused about prior to the Holy Spirit coming. But then Peter, as a spokesman for the disciples, he preached to the crowd of people who were in Jerusalem on that particular day for the Feast of the Harvest. And that was a major Old Testament festival for which every conscientious Jew would really make every effort to try to get to Jerusalem for this special feast. That meant that Jews from Asia, Africa, and Europe were all there present to hear Peter's Pentecost message that day. And most likely those Jews, when they went back home to Asia, Africa, to Europe, what they did is they carried that message back with them and they shared it with people throughout the world about Jesus. And now to all those people, Peter said, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And even more pointedly, he said, you, with the help of wicked men, put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. How would you have liked to have been in Peter's audience that first Pentecost day when Jesus made such an accusation against those people? He said, you put Jesus to death by nailing him to the cross. Our text says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, there probably were plenty of people in the crowd that day who would have objected to Peter's charge. Maybe they would have said, we weren't even here at that particular time. That was seven weeks ago. 
maybe even if they were there, they still would have said, it wasn't us, maybe. Maybe there were some who said that, yet it says as a whole, the people realized they were guilty that, that they made it necessary for Jesus to be crucified. When Jesus was before Pontius Pilate, we don't hear of anyone really stepping forward to say that Jesus was unjustly being tried. No one came forward to say Jesus was falsely accused. So when Peter says here, you put Jesus to death, he was speaking to the entire crowd that was there that day. That would include his fellow apostles. It would have included himself as well. And of course, we need to recognize he was also speaking to us. He's also speaking to us because, well, you and I, we're sinners too. We're sinners too. We break God's law. And you and I, therefore, are guilty of crucifying Christ as well. Our sins, my sins, your sins, nailed Jesus to the cross. Well, it says here that Peter's message had cut to the heart of those people who were listening to him. It hurt, it hurt because it confronted them with the law and, well, his message, it also cuts to our hearts. It reminds us of how we are sinners. It confronts us with the law and reminds us as Luther said, that we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. My sins, your sins, also nailed Jesus to the cross. You and I made it necessary for him to be crucified. Well, you and I should have been on the cross instead of him. Peter's message, what it does is it does confront us with the law. It's a tough message to hear. But his message didn't end there. He also comforts us with the gospel. He tells us of God's solution for our sin. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit, he was busy working on that day, working on the hearts of all of those people through Peter's message to call those people to faith in Jesus and, well, to build people up in the faith as well, just as the Word of God, the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God works, worked on our hearts to make us believing children of God. Well, Peter wanted his listeners, us included, to, to repent. And that word repent is actually a gospel imperative, a gospel command that empowers one to do what it's saying to do. It empowered them not only to confess their sins, but also to look to Jesus for forgiveness. And now, Peter was also encouraging all of those people to be baptized too. Through their baptisms, all their sins would be washed away completely.
completely. And now Jesus, Peter also wants us to repent, to be sorry for our sins, to look to Jesus for forgiveness and, and to the Holy Spirit for his help to fight against the sin that's in our lives. And for that matter, he wants anyone who hasn't been baptized to also be baptized, to learn about baptism and, well, through baptism to receive the forgiveness of all our sins. To be officially received into God's believing family. And now all of us who have been baptized, just think about that. It, it's such a Wonderful thing for us every day to remember that we're baptized children of God and what that really means. The comfort that we can have in knowing that through baptism, all of our sins are washed away. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's working on our hearts to keep us in the true faith in Christ Jesus. Well, Peter says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Well, all people are sinners. But Jesus shed his holy, precious blood for all people. For all people to take away the sins of the world. Our reading says, with many other words, Peter warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now that is a warning that is also for you and for me. Most of the people in our world who have rejected Christ have done so by, well, it could be by following other gods, gods that don't include Jesus, gods that don't include the Savior God, even if they say they believe in Jesus, if they're trusting in their own works instead. Well, people have rejected Jesus, worshiping other gods, like I said, or, or by trusting in their own works to get to heaven. Most people who reject Christ will end up thinking that they'll get to heaven because of what they have or haven't done. And we need to watch out for that temptation because we're always being tempted by Satan to, to think that we've done enough that we could earn our way to heaven. And the fact of the matter is, is that we aren't good enough to get to heaven. To get to heaven on our own, we have to be perfect. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ was more than good enough to win heaven for us and for all people. Paul says, by grace, God's undeserved love, by grace are you saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. In his first Easter sermon, what the Apostle Peter did on the day of Pentecost is he confronted his listeners and, and himself and us with the law to show them and us our sinfulness. And then what he does, of course, is he comforted 
them and us with the gospel message and showed them their Savior, our Savior. And the result of that preaching, that powerful Easter preaching, the powerful effect of preaching Christ's Easter victory, it says that God added 3,000 souls to the church and the lives of those 3,000 people were forever changed. And effect of what, of Peter's powerful preaching that day is that, well, through it, the Holy Spirit created a wonderful fellowship of believers and now those people, they knew Jesus as their Savior, but they wanted to know more about him. They wanted to know more about him, and that's why they devoted themselves, it says, to the apostles' preaching, to the apostles' teaching. They searched the scriptures. They got together not only for worship and Bible study, but also to socialize, to socialize. They became one big happy family. Of course, because they were sinners living in a sinful world, they weren't always one big happy family. Believers fight and struggle amongst themselves. Well, we got a sinful nature. We daily sin much is what the Bible says. Well, they had their struggles, but it says that they were concerned about their Christian family they prayed for one another and they helped those who had any physical or spiritual needs. Our reading says they praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Perhaps the most important thing that we can learn from those early Christians is that they were so filled with joy in knowing their Lord and their Savior as their Savior that that joy showed itself really in every aspect of their lives. They were happy people and God used their happiness to reach out to more and more people so that the Lord was constantly adding more and more souls to his church on this earth. Do we always exhibit that kind of happiness in our lives as believing children of God? Or, or are we often guilty of relaying to the people around us a bit of a negative attitude? Unfortunately, it's very easy for us to have a lot of negativism, especially when we consider the, the sinful world in which we live, when we think of all of the things that are, that are going on in our world. It's very easy to be negative and, well, just to think about it, when, when the, the weatherman tells us that there's a 20% chance of rain, isn't it kind of funny that then we focus on the 20% chance of rain when, when it's also saying that there's an 80% chance of really nice weather, right? But it's just that 
natural human tendency toward negativism. Our sinful nature wants us to think how bad things are, but God wants us to see how great everything is because of Christ. It's true, as the scriptures say, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. But the Bible also says, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. That's the Apostle John speaking there. Therefore, what's true for us is that we're going to heaven where everything will be perfect forever. That's a concept that's so hard for us to grasp right now, but everything perfect forever, it never will be anything less than perfect. And since that's our future, that is our future as believing children of God, why would we ever then feel like complaining? Why should we have a negative attitude? Our present problems, they can be plenty, they can be great, they're still just temporary and they're small in comparison to the glory that does await us and, and the glory that we have right now as being God's believing children and heirs of heaven. Peter's first Easter message, his Pentecost sermon, had some powerful effects. Through it, God the Holy Spirit graciously called people to faith. And he changed their lives so that they were filled with joy and they worked together as members of God's believing family, working together as, well, what was supposed to be one big happy family of believers. And his working on them meant also that they were joyfully sharing that gospel message with the world. But again, we'll ask the question, why was Peter's message that day, why was his preaching so powerful and effective? Was it the way he preached? Of course not. Was the Apostle Peter such a dynamic preacher that people were just attracted to his magnetism? No, it wasn't how Peter preached. It's what he preached. Preaching God's word, God's message. Preaching Christ's Easter victory for us. And preaching the gospel which the Apostle Paul says is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Our Lord also said, my word will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. God's word, the Holy Spirit working through the word of God, it does some amazing things. It changes people's hearts and lives. Of course, we weren't there when Peter preached that first Easter message on the day of Pentecost. But 
we have heard God speak to us through his word today. And may God the Holy Spirit keep on working on our hearts and building up and strengthening our faith so that like those early Christians, we're filled with joy in our resurrected Savior and our lives are changed, our hearts and lives are changed so that we're eager like Peter and all the other apostles to share our Savior and his Easter victory and our victory forever because of him. Amen. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the second article and its meaning. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. What does this mean? I believe that Jesus Christ, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, is my Lord. He has redeemed me, a lost and condemned creature, purchased and won me from all sins, from death and from the power of the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. All this he did that I should be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness, just as he has risen from death and lives and rules eternally. This is most certainly true. Let's pray. Oh God, by the humiliation of your Son, you lifted up this fallen world from the despair of death. By his resurrection to life, grant your faithful people gladness of heart and the hope of eternal joys. We pray through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In our prayers today, we continue to keep the many people on our prayer list with their different problems and troubles in our prayers. Oh, and as we look at the list, of course, oh, we think of Deb Spitzley with her heart and kidney issues, Paula Burris, heart and leg and circulation issues, Jan Camp dealing with cancer, and, well, think of my wife dealing with some skin cancer issues, and, and well, I also have to think of myself right now. I'll have surgery tomorrow for prostate surgery, and we'll pray. Lord God, please keep all of us in your loving care. Be with the doctors and the nurses that would care for us. 
be with the doctors, the nurses, the aides, everyone that would care for us. And, and if it's according to your will, please grant healing. Please grant speedy recovery if that's your will. But, of course, as we pray, we always say, Lord, your will be done. You know what's best for us. You know what's best for your eternal plan. Keep us all in your loving care. And when you keep us in your loving care, we can trust that everything works out right. Everything works out right as believing children of God. Keep on giving to all of us your grace and your mercy and your love. We pray this in Jesus, our Savior's name, and in his name we join in praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace. Let's join in singing our prayer for our country. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America. My home, sweet home. God bless America. My home, sweet home. Again, thank you for joining me for worship today. A couple announcements to share with you in the congregation this week. Well, Rebecca Waters has a birthday on Wednesday. Ruth and Rich Richards have birthdays on Thursday. Butch Coit on Friday. Rob Morris on Saturday. We are planning a ladies' Bible class. Probably my wife will be leading that on Wednesday. As I said, I have my surgery on, on Monday. Trust in the Lord to take care of things. And we would appreciate your prayers, of course. And we will do the best we can of trying to let you know how everything is going. Again, thank you for joining me for worship. The Lord bless and keep you always.